0: Blue Liar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Rebuild, a free agency edition. I'm Henry Ettinger, here with Jordan Climac once again to break down day one of free agency. It seemed like the Browns might not make any moves at first. Things were a little quiet, surprisingly so, but then... Jordan, all of a sudden, things started to trickle in, and the Browns made one pretty
1: significant move today. Yeah, we were sitting around like, you know, A.B., Andrew Barry said he was going to be aggressive. We were waiting, like, last year. These, you know, the Conklin and the Hooper, they happened, like, immediately. So, Browns fans were sitting there, like, refreshing Twitter all day, and then it finally happened at, like, 4.15. And we got a good one, Henry. We got a good one, my man. Yeah, for a while, I was like, you know, we we didn't record a pod of the
0: weekend. We were waiting for Monday, thinking there might be some news. And then I was like, uh-oh, we might just be talking, you know, Drew Brees retirement and brackets. The Browns aren't <laughs> doing anything here. But uh, all of a sudden, uh, a, a couple small moves, but the big one being the Browns signing safety John Johnson away from the St. Well, I almost just called them the St. Louis Rams, from the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs>
1: Jordan, Damn, a little little flashback. <laughs> what do you think of this move? Oh, I was I was excited, Henry. This wasn't even on my radar. Like I can't like sit here and be like one of those guys is like, well, see, I told you so. But because honestly, this like I said, this wasn't on my radar at all. But Henry, we've done like, a handful of pods now, and one of the main themes that I've driven home in pretty much every single podcast we've done is bring some leadership to the defense. So I've talked about how on offense. It's Baker Mayfield. He's always going to be your leader. And then you look at Jarvis Landry. He's also that voice in the locker room. So who's the guy on defense? You know, we've seen, you know, if you watch building the Browns and all that, like you see Miles Garrett, he's, he can be a leader. He can be vocal at times. Sheldon Richardson as well. But I don't think they had the true leader on defense. So you bring in a guy at the safety position who's also just 25 years old. Like that has to be said first. And what I thought was a pretty friendly deal. Apparently he took less money to come here and we'll get into that as well. But, Henry, main thing, we t- we got a captain. We took a captain away for, from a top three defense in the NFL last year. And they were number one for a significant part of the year. And you're able to take a captain away from that and bring it to this defense. Like, that's the exact kind of leadership I've been talking about and the kind of deep leadership that we need on this defense. So I was excited. Again, it wasn't on my radar at all. But when I saw it, I was like, yeah, my man Andrew Barry knows what he's doing. Let's go. I'm ready to go. Let's play some football right now. Come on. Well, that's, that's an
0: interesting point you bring up because that was not my first thought, but I think that's a good one. And I hadn't even really, I I guess, processed that part of it. I'd seen some tweets about Johnson's leadership at being mentioned, but we discussed that in relation to some veterans, right? The JJ Watts, you know, some of the other big time free agents we discussed like, Hey, this defense needs a little bit more leadership on it uh, just because there aren't that many foundational pieces. It feels like that aren't young or unproven guys, right? It's kind of Garrett who really is still pretty young. Denzel Ward, who's really still pretty young. And, you know, that's asking a lot
1: of those guys to be, you know, all the voices on. defense. Denzel is a quiet guy too. Like if you, if you ever get to know him, you ever talk to him, he's not like a vocal guy. He's very much to himself kind of a guy. So again, neither, those are your two best players on defense. None of them are really real leaders. Miles more so than Denzel, but again, Denzel, he's, he's not very vocal at all.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, even oh, spending some time around Miles Garrett myself, he, he's definitely more vocal. He's definitely more fun-loving, but he doesn't strike me as the guy that, like, gets in everybody's face all the time. Right. It's not, like, a huge personality that fills up the room either. So the combination of those two guys, yeah, maybe that, that wasn't, you know, all the voices you need. And, and so, yeah, I think that's a great point, is John Johnson does bring that in addition To everything else I mean for me I thought that the there are two kind of two pieces to this right there's the player and then there's the the concept of of going you know safety as as the first you know big signing uh that you make and spending a lot of money there and I thought to both on both fronts it made a lot of sense the Browns got shredded at safety last season they needed to upgrade. They were their safeties were the worst performing safeties in the NFL yeah. last season. Meanwhile, John Johnson was obviously fantastic for the Rams last season. So they had to upgrade the position. And then, as you mentioned, I love the player as well in particular that they went. Out.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned it too. the Browns um, secondary. In particular, the safety play was ranked last in the NFL grading out at like 43%. And um, to your point again, uh, Johnson from pro football focus graded out at like 88% in third ranked safety in all football, which kind of, you look back at that kind of peel back the curtain and it's like, okay, well it makes sense because last year I would assume I, I don't have the stat off the top of my head, but the Browns offensive lineman on, unit was probably the worst, if not, you know, one of the worst, if not the worst last year and ta- talking about grading out on the field. So the last season they go and immediately the first thing they do is sign right tackle Jack Conklin. And this year it's like, okay, the worst graded um, position group on your team was that safety group you go out and immediately add John Johnson. So I think my man, AB knows what he's doing, Henry. Yeah. So obviously they, 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 they didn't go cheap here.
0: Right. I mean, this is a, you know, a three it's, year. It's not a
1: bad deal though. Yeah. And, and so,
0: yeah, that was what I was going to get to. So what are your kind of, you know, well, I, I do want to talk about John Johnson, the player a little bit more in his fit, just, philosophically speaking, because I think everybody was, not everybody, I shouldn't say that. Jake Burns actually was on this podcast saying he wanted safety as the number one priority for the Browns. But I think a lot of the fan base has been focused on the edge and corner. So for safety to be the first signing, are are you still feeling good uh, about that decision? Obviously it was an era, an issue for the Browns, but they, they, they spent a significant amount of money here with John Johnson.
1: Yeah. So three years, 33.75 million. 24 million guaranteed. So here's the thing that got me right when I saw the 33 and the 24 I was like okay that's kind of a big contract, but just three years. I think that we know what we're doing. This team, this this front office knows what they're doing with the, the three year deal because that's not going to tie them up completely in the future, right? Like we're talking about like when when it's, when it's time to cash out Baker, when it's time to you know have a decision on Denzel Ward, when it's time to have a decision on Nick Chubb. I don't think we're necessarily going to be having to worry about like, Hey, we're paying John Johnson a lot because it's three years. I, you know, I doubt that he plays here more than those three years, but like, I think it's perfect. The perfect deal for right now. It's the perfect kind of win now deal that I've been preaching for in the last couple of pods, Henry. I agree. Look,
0: he's 25. That runs through his age 28 season. That that's, lines up perfectly you would think with the Browns timeline and I'm something I like about this front office is they spend money schematically where they want to use the players a lot right like it felt like Austin Hooper might have been a little bit of an overpay last year and maybe still is but the Browns need good tight end play because Kevin Stefanski wants to use tight ends all the time well on the defensive side of the football Joe Woods has had the most success playing that's a great point he, yep. he wants to have five DBs on the field and, and really three safeties. And so you need safeties. They, we just talked about, it. they had the worst performing safeties in the league. And if one guy goes down, you don't want to be relying on Sandejo again to be on the field. <laughs> so, instead, God, no. <laughs> so instead, they invest there. And I, to me, this seems like a, an upside deal. And, and you know the downside, as long as John Johnson is healthy, seems pretty minimal to me as, as far as the contract structure goes.
1: And a great point, Henry. There, we're talking about the schematics and where where we like to sign, you know, sign people where we use them a lot. And and just looking at this, I was kind of salivating at the mouth thinking about this earlier, Henry. The three safety, you know, set that the Browns would play, in. and this year it was Carl Joseph, Tendejo, and Redwine. Now next year you're going to be looking at Ronnie Harrison, John Johnson, and then Grant Delpit in that hybrid role. Like you're going to be able to play him all over the field know put him he's going to be able to cover slot he's going to be able to cover the tight end like I think if we talked about when Delpit was a rookie and how they wanted to use him and kind of how that's exactly how Joe Woods you know the exact player that he likes to build the back end of his defense around well now Delpit can be that guy 100% and you put two strong safeties behind him like Henry this is just set up for yeah I, I wish I'm kind of angry that I didn't see this coming in a sense because like it all to your point like it makes so much sense now Like, the way they spent money last offseason, the way that it looks like they're going to spend money this offseason, to your point, the three-safety system, that's exactly what it is. That's the highlight of Joe Woods' defense, the four-five-two. So, this is absolutely perfect for that schematically, and I'd love to see – we just got to pray that these guys stay healthy, right? Because Harrison has shown he can be banged up a little bit. He was banged up last year. Delpit, obviously, coming off the Achilles. If those three safeties can stay healthy and we can use Delpit in that hybrid role that I think he'll excel at, I mean – Super Bowl, hello. You <laughs> know, I mean, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and and
0: I I was slightly surprised too, no doubt. Uh and, and as I said, that you know, in some you know, we talked so much about free agency. It feels like every single name was mentioned at some point or another. <laughs> so John Johnson's name was brought up. Once, as I, as I said by Jake, but he you know, he was more focused on Marcus Williams or Marcus May potentially as more of a bargain guy. Yeah, you know, John Johnson wasn't a player that that I necessarily was zeroed in either. And as you said, I'm almost kicking myself because now, as you look at the Browns' needs, and, and you also look at the front office, right? Like who that it would make sense for this front office to go after if they're going to go after a free agent, somebody that's going to address the needs slightly towards the top of the market but also young enough that they can be part of this core it makes so much sense and 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 jordan to that point i let yeah let's talk about john johnson the player a little bit and more in, in his fit because look if you you mentioned it off the top he graded very very highly among the pro football focus guys among several different analytics websites basically top five in all of them this last season for the Rams. They were the number one defense, according to pro football focus. And he was a big part of it. He, he graded out, I think his total grade was 85.3, which was third among safeties that that played enough games and snaps really to qualify. He played every single snap for the yeah, Rams. This season, I think I
1: said, did I say 88 earlier? I'm glad. you I'm. See, that's that's why we get along, Henry. You're you're here to check me. You're like, nah, it's, it was 85%. I thought it was 88. It's you're absolutely right, 85%. But nonetheless, still the third ranked, third graded safety, uh, by Pro Football Focus last year.
0: Yeah, and I and I I didn't even realize uh that you said something <laughs> different way. but so or when you said but, that I was
1: like, god damn it
0: <laughs> and and basically if you look at the market for everybody out there you know if you go just through like pro football Focus's free agent rankings some other free agent rankings basically it was him and Anthony Harris at the top of the class Anthony Harris is kind of the inverse of John Johnson John Johnson had been banged up a couple of years uh previous two years ago in particular and then had a great year this year Anthony Harris had an awful year this year but had previously been at, at an all pro level and then all the other guys had been tagged already right and I think that's part of the reason this got a little surprising Marcus Williams was tagged Justin Simmons I think was tagged Marcus May was tagged so yeah he really was pretty much the the most aggressive they could get at the position Jordan what have you seen and what are your thoughts on, on John Johnson the player
1: yeah so him is the player like like I said to me it comes down to like, this is a guy that's trusted, right? Like, you can put him on the field and trust that he's going to get the job done and do things correctly. And I say that because, again, it's the leadership. It's the it's teammates trusting him in the captain role. It's everything along that, Henry. Like, and, and you, if you remember correctly, too, because I was at this game, so I remember it very well. And this this play actually happened right right in front of me was, you know, a couple of years when, um, two years ago when the Browns were playing the Rams on Sunday night and those that god-awful sequence at the uh, at the goal line when you had four plays on the one and you somehow couldn't get into the end zone. Lo and behold, Baker ends up throwing an interception on fourth down. Guess who was the guy who intercepted it? It was John Johnson right in the end zone, right in front of me. And at the time, I didn't realize that. You know, I was like, kind of like 43. Who is this guy? But then, you know, you just start to hear about him. And the other thing I wanted to mention, Henry, and kind of get your opinion on this real quick, not to, not to, you know, pivot too hard here, but, like, the reason, like, you you hit on this earlier, that, like, you know it was Marcus Williams, it was Marcus May, those were, and, like, Simmons maybe were, like, the three guys that were kind of mentioned. Didn't hear John Johnson a lot. Now, I'm wondering if you think that that's more because nobody saw the Rams parting ways with him. Everyone thought, like, oh, this guy's valuable. He's a captain on that defense, like, of course he's going to be back with that defense. Also, I have to mention that he was a signal caller on that defense. A lot of times you turn to a linebacker for that. Uh, he was the signal caller on that defense for the Rams. So like, again, like, I don't know if you attribute that to the franchise tags for the other safeties, or if you look at that more of like, nobody really saw the Rams. Nobody saw it being logical for the Rams to let him walk. I, I wondered, I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
0: I think that's definitely part of the conversation, right? Is and, and I think that's why so many Browns fans were circled in on Marcus Williams, is everybody was saying, well, no. the Saints can't keep him, right? The Saints can't keep him. They don't have the cap space. But then they did, and, and this is the, the reverse situation where it, it seems like there there was some thought that John Johnson might be back with the Rams, but it but it turns out that he had plenty of, of options. The Browns,
1: and as you said, it sounds like some other suitors that he also turned out. And that's to mention, hold on, I got we this is unfortunate because there's I got, we got to break some news on this podcast right now. And the only reason we have to is because it is a guy that we have talked about and linked to the Browns many a times on many of these podcasts, Henry. One, Carl Lawson, agreeing the terms with the Jets. So
0: Hmm.
1: I'm not, I'm not surprised there.
0: Guessing, guessing the money there is going to be pretty, pretty significant.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen the dollar figures yet. I just saw that from Ian Rappaport um, a couple minutes ago. But uh, yeah, that's disappointing because I was, you know, I was talking to someone earlier and I thought, okay, well, what's the next move for the Browns? I was thinking, well, maybe it's Carl Lawson because you know, everything I was seeing earlier was you know, the Bengals all of a sudden are targeting Trey Hendrickson. And all of a sudden, like right when I saw that, I was like, okay, well, what does that mean for Carl Lawson? Does that mean that they aren't going to be bringing him back? And lo and behold, it did mean that. But unfortunately, he's going to the Jets. I will try and find a dollar figure for you here. Oh, okay, here we go. So three years, 45 million for Carl Lawson. Wow. Interesting.
0: Only three years, 45 million yeah. too. That is not, that is surprising on no. many fronts. So that, yeah. uh, that, that signals to me, uh, at least that the, the Brown, not only the Browns that some other teams weren't as interested as I would have thought. Cause the first thing when I hear jets, they have a lot of cap space, I been exactly. thinking big money there, but, uh, it doesn't sound, I mean, three years, 45 million is a lot for, for Lawson, but I would have guessed he would have gotten a four or five year deal, uh, out of whatever team signed him in free agency. So that's interesting. But Jordan, I do want to pivot back. We'll pivot back to John Johnson for now. We certainly (laughs) will talk about other Browns moves too. Don't worry. But John Johnson, as far as a player, you mentioned reliability. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away from John Johnson is he's been consistent in his career as long as he's been on the field. I mentioned two years ago, he was pretty banged up from injuries. And so that part was certainly a, a concern but every time he's been on the field, he's been consistent. And not only that, you first of all, I would say you know, I, I trust myself in a sense that I've watched a lot of the Rams. I made a lot of money betting on the Rams because of their defense this year. I thought people were late to the game <laughs> on realizing just how good that defense was. But not only in my evaluation, it feels like every smart football person that I trust also loves this signing for the bronze, and that makes me right. feel pretty
1: confident. Yes, it is such a good point, Henry. Like I had, it's funny we had this. You know, um, obviously for those that don't know, I'm you know work for ESPN Cleveland, do a uh, daily radio show there, and you know we had um, Jake Trotter on, and we had Tony Grossi on, and both of these guys made the same point that, like, have you seen one person that you trust or follow on Twitter or follow their NFL knowledge or anything along those lines been like? yeah, I don't like the signing. Like every single person I saw, it was like, Brown's got a guy in the locker room. Brown's got, you know, keep building to their culture. The Browns got the best safety on the market. Like every single thing that I've seen has been positive. And I just want to go back to the point too. Like you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Henry. He took significant, like it wasn't just from what I read, it wasn't just less money, but it was significantly less money to come to the Browns. Hold on. I'm just going to say that again. He took significantly less money to come play for the Cleveland Browns. Now that's something that you and I haven't been able to say in our lifetime. So it's, it's it's one of those things that what a time to be alive, that the Browns are getting free agents, but not only free agents, but coveted free agents that are taking less money to be here and be part of something special. I just don't think enough can be said about that.
0: Yeah, it it does. Look, of course, you know, we're trying, you know, we're, we're obviously fans of the team, but you know, we're trying to give an honest, realistic, you know, kind of assessment of all of these moves, right? Like we're not just going to come on and say, you know, be super positive just because, but it's hard not to be super, super positive in this case, right? (laughs) Because like, we're so used to having to overpay free agents. Doesn't feel like we did that in this case. It feels like the Browns are used to signing guys that people have kind of soured on total opposite in this case. And it it feels like the Browns didn't miss here in, in that this guy also wanted to come play for them. As you said, he said he took significantly less money. There was a quote from his agent saying he really wanted to play for the Browns. He loves the team. He loves that, that Andrew Barry has assembled. He thought it was a perfect fit. And then, as I said, not, not only so the player wants to come, it doesn't seem like it's about the money. It seems like he's believing in the culture that the Browns build when can we ever Which say that? <laughs> yeah, and then as you me. mentioned, you know, you've got Jake, you know, Jake Trotter pointing this out, but also if I just look at the guys I, you know, I like, right. Like I, I love Jake Burns' film work. I've obviously had him on this podcast a bunch. He says home run free agency. You pull field Yates, Another guy I respect a lot at his work. I know ESPN gets its fair share of hate at the national level, but field Yates saying, <laughs> you know, John Johnson is viewed as one of the most, The one of the smartest, most instinctive safeties in the league on top of his physical skill set, he'll immediately bring leadership, reliability, and impact plays to Cleveland. Amazing. You look at the analytics guys, the pro football focus guys, what do they say? Reliable in pass coverage. He is a pass coverage specialist. Three out of his four years, he's been a top five safety in pass coverage. It feels just like check, 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 check across the board.
1: Yeah. And the, the key word that you said multiple times there that immediately rung a bell with me was reliability, right? Like, I just, you know, I was just saying earlier, a guy that you can put on the field and trust that he's going to do the right thing and make plays. Because, Henry, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, we've talked about it in previous pods how, you know, the Browns, it might have been harsh, and I think we've even acknowledged the fact that it was harsh. But, like, they have maybe only two, three, four guys that would start on another defense. So it, when that's the case, that means you're putting out a lot of guys that you can't really trust. You can hope that they're going to do the right thing. You can hope that they're going to make a play. You can hope that they're going to be in the right spot at the right time, but you don't know. This is a guy that you do know is going to be on the field at the right time. And to your point, just to add another name to the list, Peter Schrager, one of my favorite finalists, saying earlier on uh, one note on John Johnson third that isn't a contract detail or bottom line ticker was the often... He was often the Rams face and voice in the community, beloved member of that franchise for years. He made the biggest interception in Rams franchise history. Great culture addition by Cleveland on top of being a great football ad. Can you possibly say more? You really can't. No, not at all. And and as I looked at just his
0: statistical profile and the weaknesses around his game, it seemed like the one thing people were saying that the downside with John Johnson, number one, as I mentioned, the injuries from two years ago, there's certainly some concern there. And then secondly is his pass rush capabilities from the safety position. you know, he most, he did come down and play in the box. Sometimes he was great against the run. He was a top five safety, I think against the run as well this past year. And as I said, he's basically been an elite safety in coverage the whole time. And you know what the Browns don't really need from the safety position right now is a run stopper right? They, they're going to, they, they, they've got other guys, you know, Ronnie Harrison's their big heavy hitter, I would say in in the run game They're but they're going to roll or I, I misspoke there. Anyway, the Browns could use some help in the run game from the safety position a little bit. You know what they don't need from their safety is a pass rusher from the safety position because (laughs) they're going to rush with four guys. A lot of the time they trust that D line to win and, and they don't need him to rush the quarterback anyway. So it seems like the players, not only a good player, But a good fit for what the Browns need out of that position because they just desperately, desperately, desperately need pass rush or pass coverage help.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And, I mean, that's been the key thing with multiple. Like, can you name – has there been one? I can't – I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head that right now I can sit here and, you know, the year and, like, three days that we have to uh, go off of with, you know, Andrew Berry in the front office is like, have they missed on a free agent yet? Has there been one that we can look at? And be, I mean, I guess you could say like Sendejo, but I'm not really counting any of these one-year guys. I, I think those were just plug-and-play guys for the most part. I'm talking about the big dollar-figure contracts. Case Keenum, I guess you can make an argument, but I think that his value comes from off the field and what he can do in the quarterback room, and kind of just being a mentor and being someone that's been in Stefanski's offense, someone that can show Baker the way. So I'm I, I don't really. I, I can't really listen to that. He's making a lot of money and we'll see what they do with him. I'm not 100% convinced he will be back. And not that that, that is a inside note or anything. (laughs) I'm just, I just don't necessarily know if he'll be back. But so then you look at Conklin who they paid, you look at Hooper, who they paid, I guess Hooper, again, you can make, I think he only had like 400 and some yards last year and like a handful of touchdowns. But again, I think his impact is more just kind of behind the scenes doing the dirty work blocking as well. And then to your point of like having a guy you can trust there at the tight end position, because Kevin Stefanski is a guy who values the tight end. And so if you have a guy that you can trust and you be able to put out there and do the right thing, I don't think you can put a value on that. And then you look at Johnson today, it's like, am I missing something, Henry? Or or, or is Barry, like, batting a 1,000 right now with, like, a couple home runs and, and a handful of RBIs as well? Throw five steals in there.
0: <laughs> look, it certainly seems like a lot of the the free agency additions he, he made last year worked out really well. I think some people would say Austin Hooper was a slight overpay –
1: but here's the I, thing on that. Here, here's the thing on that. Produced. I, yeah. And, and not only that, you look at that, Henry. Name me name me another tight end that had an incredible year outside of Travis Kelsey.
0: Kittle was hurt. I mean, exactly. Gronk not at all until the Super Bowl. You know, there are not many. Darren Waller, I would throw out there. But other than that, I mean. Yes. Yeah. Not it's, the list is not it, it, long. We'll the, put it that way.
1: The point yeah, the point being is that it's it's rare. I mean, you know this, you play fantasy football. It's it's rare that you get like production, like crazy statistical production like you get from Travis Kelsey from a tight end. Like you can't I feel like our, the expectations were a little high. I know that Hooper was coming in the last year. I think he coming off of like an eight hundred um double digit touchdown season. And I, I get that, but like you have to be realistic coming into an offense with kind of the weapons that the Browns have and how we're going to be want to be a run-first team. Obviously, the Falcons are a pass-first team. So you just got to be realistic. Like, I didn't think that he was going to come here and put up crazy numbers. I thought it was going to be more of how he fit into this roster. And it's been a perfect fit, in my opinion. And I think it's only going to get better from here on out, building chemistry with number six.
0: Yeah, I... I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not down on the Hooper signing. I'm not down on the Case Keenum signing either, because I feel like your quarter your your backup quarterback is worth nothing until your starting quarterback gets hurt for a game. And you have to judge how much faith you have in that quarterback. And sure. I have a lot more faith in Case Keenum than I do a lot of the other backup quarterbacks in the league. So I actually don't think that's an overpay at all. I am. I am in the camp of you spend money on your backup quarterback. <laughs> uh, and so I know I, a lot
1: of people aren't. So, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and I and I, I strongly disagree, and I think the Eagles, with Nick okay. Foles as their backup quarterback, would also uh, like a word with those people who uh, who disagree with me. But I, that is too far uh, off the, <laughs> the topic. Yeah, Going off the rails. <laughs> I really, yeah. My my only thing that I. The last point I had on John Johnson really here, as I look at my notes is that pro football focus projected him to get four years and 13.75 million a year. So the guaranteed money right about the same as the Browns gave him, but you can obviously see, it doesn't seem like the Browns overpaid for him at all. Jordan, there were some other minor moves today. Uh, The Browns did essentially retain Kaderil Hodge. Uh, They, they, they tendered him for $2.3 million. Basically, if any team was going to offer him a contract, the Browns have the right of refusal. And then if they did sign him, they'd have to send back a draft pick to the Browns. Basically, long story short, be very surprising that it, if Daryl Hodge ended up not on the Browns next season yeah. for $2.3 million.
1: And I think so that, so given that, that it's likely, I would say pretty close to hundred percent likely that he will be back. think that means two things and damn it i don't have a beer around here you know i had a sprite but i'm not going to pour that out i was going (laughs) to say it's time we might have to pour one out for our man hollywood higgins who it looks like i think that this deal probably it's whispering the end of hollywood higgins here um you know if if he's gonna if cadero hodge is gonna come back at two million not sure that the browns are going to be you know willing to give out two million to cadero and then another couple million to hollywood i just don't see that happening now, the other thing that that means is I think that the Browns, this sings that, you know, it whispered that Hollywood was going to be gone. But I think that this sings that Odell is going to be here and on this roster next year. I say that for the reason that with the signing, again, Hollywood likely gone. That's another receiving target. I think the Browns are looking at well your receivers are going to be Jarvis and Odell. Why are we going to bring back Kaderil Hodge? Because Kaderil Hodge is the guy that you can put in the slot. He's a guy that he does the dirty work in the slot. And you know how many times, Henry, they I don't have obviously I don't have these numbers in front of me, but there were a lot of one receiver sets that the Browns ran last year when they were running the ball, that Kaderil Hodge was the lone receiver on the field for those possessions. And that being the reason that he's a very, very, very good blocking wide receiver. So I think that that is the value in Kaderil Hodge. I think that's why the Browns are going to bring him back. I think bringing back a – run blocking wide receiver rather than a kind of possession wide receiver and Hollywood Higgins screams that the Browns think Odell is part of their plans next year. So get a guy Odell. Obviously we know not the best blocking wide receiver. So get a guy, bring back a guy that can be that blocking wide receiver, because of course we know the run game is very potent and important to the Browns success on offense.
0: Well, you stole my point there as far as Cadero Hodge <laughs> and the blocking. I'm not going to lie to you. Sorry. Jordan. Yeah, he's a fantastic <laughs> blocking receiver. That's why it, he fits very well in the scheme as kind of a lower-end receiver on this team. And, yeah, I think a, a lot of people came to the same conclusion that you did, Jordan, seeing the signing, is that it might indicate Rashard Higgins could be gone. Now, they're, of course, if you do the math, they had Rashard Higgins on this team last year with Cadero Hodge, so it's possible... Uh, to, to bring them back, but but given the number, you would think that it's probably a no. And on top of that, you would think that there's a very good chance they add a young guy to this room, whether it's, you know, a bargain bin kind of free agent guy with some speed or in the draft. So, Basically, this means there's one spot left unless they were to move on from OBJ. And most people, I think, are assuming that spot is not going to go to Higgins if the Browns are looking to get a little bit more speed or versatility in the group.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know I can tell you firsthand that this front office, this coaching staff, this organization is very, very high on Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I think that he fits in that receiving room as well. I like your point and I do very much think think that this will be the case that the Browns will draft a wide receiver at some point in the draft and to your point again, you know, I stole your point so you got you know, you come back and steal my point of the needing a speed wide receiver of top priority because really when Odell went out last year, you had no one that could take the top off the defense. You just didn't we saw it a couple times with DPJ, but he you couldn't rely on a rookie to be able to one to be the one to consistently take the top off of the defense. Now bringing Odell back into the fold. I'd like that. We all know he's prone to injury. I think the Browns value speed on offense and defense. And I think that's the route they're going to go to fill that empty wide receiver position via the draft. Yeah. uh,
0: And uh, I am also high on Donovan Peoples Jones. So if it does end up being, you know, no Higgins and Hodge, I, I thought, as you said, Hodge does the dirty work kind of fits in. I think Donovan Peoples Jones was Very, very impressive. I did not think he was going to be as impactful as he was for the Browns and and has a lot of room to grow. I, Of course, have a soft spot for Rashard Higgins as well. But I understand that there are only so many spots. We'll see. Hey, he he still certainly could be back. But I think all of a sudden people today were we're doing the numbers, doing the math. And we're like, oh, this this seems like uh, it might be the end of the line. For for Higgins and Cleveland. So if that is the case, uh, I will certainly wish him well wherever he goes. Because, of course, he took a a discount to be with the Browns last season. He's produced a a bunch. And I thought, you know, what happened two years ago with him and and Freddie Kitchens was just a shame. Oh,
1: we want to get into that. Here's, here's my question. <laughs> yeah, we probably should That's another <laughs> yeah. podcast. Okay, Christ Henry, you get me going on a two-hour rant here. Get people turning off the podcast. But um, here's the, here's here's my question with Richard, real quick, and we can touch this very briefly and move on. And then this is hard for me to ask because I'm a fan, and I think he's valuable, and I don't think you can put a price or a value on, you know, kind of that chemistry aspect that he had with Baker Mayfield. But Henry, just I'll ask you this: just a yes or no question. Have Browns fans overrated Rashard Higgins? Yes. <laughs> it took you a second.
0: <laughs> well, because I think he's underrated by perhaps national media who who think of the Browns receivers as OBJ and Jarvis Landry and didn't realize that Rashard Higgins had a productive year last year. But look, you look at his speed, it's not going to scare a defense necessarily. And I think – schematically he was also put in a great position to succeed with the Browns. And I think ultimately the replacement value with him really isn't that difficult. And it felt like a lot of Browns fans that I've seen feel like they have to bring him back where I'm like, I like the player. I would like them to bring him back. But like if the Browns don't bring back Rashard Higgins, I don't think it really makes a tangible difference in the record next season.
1: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly and I don't want to echo too much of what you said, but I, I just wanted to hear your opinion on that because I had that thought the other day and I was like, no, I think I am myself am a victim of like overrating this guy. Like I was sitting there like convincing myself like, oh, I'm going to be so bummed if we lose him. And I think it was really just because I liked him, liked his personality, you know, the, the Hollywood dance when he scored a touchdown. I think it was that had a lot to do with it. But when you really think about it, it's like, yeah, bronze fans make him out to be and don't come for me on Twitter, Browns fans. But I think some of us make make him out to be a little better than he actually is. Well, it's one of the hard things about the the job. I mean, you and
0: you and I are obviously have been around these guys in limited fashion. But especially, yeah. you know, for a, for a GM or a coach, when you've been around these guys and you like them as personalities, it certainly does make them harder to evaluate. That's why I feel like Bill Belichick is so famous for being like, "Oh yeah, we're friends," but also, "I'm going to cut you tomorrow." So <laughs> right uh, and. Jordan, just the one last piece of, of Brown's news that came from today, and then we still we have to talk about potential moves because it's only been day one. Kendall yeah. Lamb is gone right. from the Browns. It looks like he signed a two-year deal with the Titans. So, Browns lose Kendall Lamb. Uh, just real quick, any major thoughts on that? And if not, we can just move on.
1: Yeah, not any major thoughts. Um, I like Kendall Lamb. Obviously, had that touchdown catch. I wonder if the Titans saw that touchdown catcher and like, damn, we gotta have this guy because he went right. I, that's the team that he signed with, so it was interesting to see that. But again, he was valuable just because um, you know he could play multiple positions along that offensive line. He could. He, I think he he got some tick at tackle. He got some tick at guard. So he was playing all over the line, and I think that those guys are valuable. But in the end, you're not going to be able to pay these guys. And Henry, the other thing about it is, you got to mention to White Teller in the last year of his deal, so there's going to be a decision on him coming up next year. And so I just don't think you can tie up all that room in the, on the offensive line, especially when you start talking about backup guys. And we know Bill Callahan's scheme; we know how he can, you know, seem, was seemingly pulling like homeless people off the streets, and they were coming in and like starting at Garth for the Browns, and, and somehow we like we weren't missing a beat. Not not to say that Blake Hans or Michael Dunn was a homeless guy, but you know, just a virtual virtual unknowns. You know, uh, I forget which one it was. Was it Michael Dunn or was it Blake Hansen? There was that huge report that he met Baker Mayfield in the locker room like 20 like, minutes before the game started. Uh, my
0: Northwestern, Northwestern's own Blake Hans would be the answer <laughs> okay. to that question. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: Yeah, so that, to my point, like if, if, if you're if, – I think it's more of the system that's going to make these backup guys look good that Bill Callahan runs. So I don't have too many thoughts on it. There was another guy that the Browns lost to and, and Vincent Taylor. They lost him to the Texans. And backup defensive tackle he got some clock at the end of the year with uh Larry Ogunjobi being out but again not too many thoughts on those guys kind of had the writing on the wall that those guys weren't going to be back because the Browns were going to try and spend money on the defense and I don't think they were prioritizing the like a backup defensive tackle or backup offensive line position I don't think so either I
0: really nothing else to say on it other than what you said uh, I don't think it was the place for the Browns to invest their money right Jordan Day one is over, and as I said, things got not way yet. more exciting. <laughs> well, it's you're right. You're right. It's not over because more, <laughs> more signings are pouring in. But what you do see on day one a lot of times is kind of the deals that clearly have been worked out ahead of time or discussed at least a framework ahead yeah. of time get done pretty quickly. So that part is over. Brown's still with, I believe, over $20 million in cap space to play with, and there are still plenty of guys out there. You know, certainly some names came off the board today, but Jordan, do you see John Johnson being the end of the big signings for the Browns or do you see some bigger names potentially still in the offing
1: for this team the next couple of days in free agency? Oh yeah, I Henry, I absolutely wholeheartedly, 100%. Not only can I say, tell you that I don't think so, but I can pretty much sit here and tell you for a fact that the Browns are not done. Um, I've heard from a couple of birdies that they are very, very, very locked in on signing a defensive end, whether it be, you know, I I think they're going to, you know, we've seen guys, you know, I think, I don't think it was official, but Yannick Ngakwe apparently was in deep talks with the Raiders. Obviously we mentioned earlier in the podcast that Carl Lawson just agreed to a deal with the Jets. So I think that, um, you know, there's still some good names out there. Um, was it Hunter with the uh, Vikings? I believe is still out there. There are a lot of guys, but I just wanted to highlight this tweet from Medidi Kinkabala earlier, who said uh, it was a fourfold tweet. She said, "One, the Browns need a top-flight pass rusher to pair with Miles Garrett. Yes, we've talked about that handful of times on this podcast. Andrew Barry, very smart man. Yes, we know that Barry and the Browns will not be rushed into something short-sighted or stupid. I think we've come to learn that as well, especially today." with, you know, all these Browns fans thinking that we were going to just come out and just start making it rain like the Patriots were doing all over the place today. Obviously, that didn't happen. But here is the important part to Henry. Her fourth point, the Browns will, will in capital letters, sign a top flight pass rusher. Now I was watching NFL Network during my workout earlier, and they highlighted the same exact thing, saying a top edge pass rusher will be in Berea by the end of the week. Who will it be? I don't know. Is it a Trey Hendrickson? Is it someone along those lines? I don't know who it's going to be, Henry. But I can sit here and tell you that the Browns are not done. That They absolutely are still going to address that position that, you know, I, I highlighted as, you know, what I thought was the top need for the Browns. I, I believe you did as well. Other people had the secondary. The, they already addressed part of that secondary. But, Henry, they will absolutely still make a move. The question will be for who. I think that's a. That's a great question.
0: Is who is it going to be? Because, right, you know there are a lot of Browns fans who are in love with the idea of Romeo Quara and and, and, I, and I certainly like that idea too. He ended up going for three years, thirty nine million dollars, so a pretty hefty contract back with the Lions. Of course, you mentioned it in Gockway. There was some reporting earlier that he was close to a deal. I think Schefter has now confirmed that a two year deal has been is okay. is, yeah. uh, is, is there Smoots gone. Uh Danico Autry is signed so a lot of the big names are are off the market some other you know there are also a
1: lot... uh we have to I don't know it's my bad if you already mentioned this but Bud Dupree uh signed with the Titans
0: yeah and and I'm I, I didn't mention that but I'm okay with that out Bud
1: Dupree was <laughs> yeah, not same, gonna be, yeah I had a lot Bud of people who's not choice Bud Dupree yeah, it's like, come on, we're coming off of an ACL injury. We don't know where we're going to get. It. I'd rather take one of these proven guys and kind of approve it, Bud do pre-deal. I don't, I don't have the numbers for me in, in front of me on that, Bud do pre-deal, but that's another edge guy that was off the market. So do you have the list in front of you of edge guys who are still available,
0: Henry? Yeah. Why don't I throw some names out at you? Out, yeah. at you. Uh, Carlos Dunlap, 32 years old, uh, was just, you know, released by the Seahawks, basically a cap casualty there, and so he is, he's probably the most prominent name, but he's 32 years old, same age as JJ Watt. Uh, he, obviously they went younger with John Johnson. I think, you know, Dunlap would be a little bit more of the older yeah, uh, variety.
1: Yeah. I don't see, I don't think, I don't think that there would be too much interest in Dunlap. I think if, if there was, it would be in like the one year an option for the second type or like a voidable second year. But here's the thing. And um, yeah, I can, I can say that he said this is my, this is my guy. If you, have, if you have any problems, you can address me, Jake, with me saying this. But uh, Jake Trotter did tell me earlier today and tell us on our, our radio show here in Cleveland that the Browns, as high as they were on J.J. Watt, and he doesn't believe that they were as high as people thought them to be, they were equally as high, if not higher, on one or two other edge rush guys. Are you going to give me the names. But that just kind of sets – like if, if you're looking at Carlos Dunlap, who was up there with the same kind of age that J.J. Watt was, and you're talking about the interest might have not been as heavy as people have thought in J.J. Watt, then I can't really sit here and say that they would have high interest in Carlos Dunlap. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it, I would be surprised. But, hey, another guy along those lines too, Melvin Ingram a little bit, yeah. you know, could be a big name. Trey Hendrickson you mentioned. I think Leonard Floyd is still out there. Uh, last I checked, as well. Um, so some of the uh, is Daniel m- Hunter. What what happened to Daniel Hunter today? Uh, let me check on that real quick. Um, McKinley, the uh, the Falcons guy, uh, I, is still out there as well. So there's uh, there's plenty of names, maybe not quite the biggest names, but I do feel like this team is going. I always felt like it was going to be multiple guys a little bit more in the mid tier range, not quite at the JJ watt price level, but I think they're going to get an established pass rusher and then maybe a slot corner as well would be my other thought of something they might add in free agency (laughs) is, is that is a, a D end that is a proven pass rusher and then a slot corner. I think those are the two places the Browns could still address
1: took the words right, my, right out of my mouth, particularly, um, I mean, and this fits right in the slot corner role, but as someone that can play nickel, we need someone to, someone that can slide in and, and, you know, be able to play that nickel um, corner. And, you know, uh, the Browns hoped last year that it would be Kevin Johnson. Um, you and I were not very high on him whatsoever. He's not going to be back. So who's going to be that other guy? I think you, you said it perfectly, Henry. It's, it's edge rush, I think, is the next priority. And then I think from there, you look at that nickel slot corner guy. Who are these guys are going to be? I don't know, but I can tell you that the Browns are absolutely thinking about those two. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of slot corners that I, I I think
0: are still on the market as well. Uh, so that'll be a, an interesting position to watch. I think Edge, though, Browns fans all have their eye focused on, on who they're going to put on the Edge opposite yeah. Miles Garrett, right? Because, I mean, like there's no option on the roster right now, right? Claiborne's gone, Vernon's right. torn Achilles, so they almost assuredly, unless – they are sure that they're going to get somebody at 26 or they like a couple guys at 26 where they're, they're like, Hey, that's the home run for us. We're going to, you know, kind of spread this around with some other mid tier guys, maybe a mid tier linebacker or something like that. They could do that. But I, my guess is they'll bring in somebody at the edge.
1: Yeah. And my thing with the edge rush on, um, like if we're going to draft one, like how often do we see an edge rush come as late as the 26th pick that like so at that point, you're basically talking about a second round pick, right, Henry? And, and, and how often do we see, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round edge rush guys come in and have an immediate impact? And I, I just don't think I mean, I'm sure, you know, you can point to a couple instances, but I don't think it happens often because right now the Browns are in a position where it's you need a guy that can come in and make an impact right away. I don't know if we're in the you know, I'm fine with drafting one, Henry, but I would still think if you're going to do that, you still need to sign a veteran. Maybe that's when someone like Carlos Dunlap becomes becomes an option. But I don't like the idea of going to the draft for edge for that exact reason. I don't think, you know, windows are small in the NFL. Windows are small in any sports. So it's like if you have that window, get someone that can make an impact right away rather than someone you have to say, yeah, we think this guy will be good down the line because by the time he gets good down the line, your window might already be closed.
0: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, and that's where I see the veteran D DN could work is you get some guy in right. here for just a couple years as a stopgap, and then maybe you do draft somebody in the draft that you like and mix them into the rotation, as far as somebody that gets reps and then ultimately become hopefully you know all, takes over that starting position one day. I think there are plenty of those type of guys on the market as well, but a, as you said, I think. The exciting part here is plenty, plenty of money still for the Browns to go around. It's just a question of who it's going to be. I throw out a bunch of names. I feel like on the defensive side of the football, there are a bunch more. I mean, it, it, maybe, you know, look, it could be a D tackle if they're replacing Ogan Joby. I wouldn't think so. Uh, Gosh, it just feels like the possibilities are endless on the defensive side of the football as long as it's a defensive player, right? Basically, every position right. but safety, it feels like they could still go with here. Uh, but my prediction, as I said, will be an end in a slot corner for kind of middle-level prices.
1: Yeah, and it definitely won't be a tackle Like I said, I think I've hit this point on a previous podcast, but Jordan Elliott and Andrew Billings are those two guys that they're going to look to for that. D tackle alongside uh Sheldon Richardson next year so I don't maybe they draft someone late but I think those are the two guys that they have kind of penciled in right now that would take over for Ogan Joby. yeah I, and I like Andrew Billings as well as a player yeah. so I'm,
0: I'm I am a okay with that Jordan before we go because we didn't touch on it at the top of the show well two things first of all I gotta just take a victory lap about Drew Brees retiring
1: uh, just... <laughs> yeah it finally it finally happened thank <laughs> yeah. you
0: i was right about
1: that i was right about that it's funny but... you know, right when i saw that tweet i was like legit the first thing i thought i was like god damn it henry
0: <laughs> <laughs> i did have that one Taysom hill then sign maybe the most of course so like, the last
1: pod we did i mentioned that i was like hey he hasn't retired yet man but, <laughs> but i guess he was waiting until like did you see that he retired on like it was like 15 years to the day that he signed his contract with the Saints. So I guess he was just waiting for that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that that's must have been it. But yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was super. And, and though the other news, of course, non football related, the NCAA tournament bracket is out. Your Ohio yeah. Bobcats are dancing. Yes. Cleveland State yes. is dancing. Jordan, give the listeners one upset before we go on this podcast.
1: So it's funny, Henry, because there's two things like, You know, I was talking about this earlier, and um, I actually had the pleasure of calling um, the game for, you know, totally unbiased, totally unbiased color analysis of me during (laughs) the MAC championship game. But I I had the pleasure of calling that and getting to see, uh, I hadn't really seen Ohio play in person yet this year. So I got got the pleasure of seeing that. But Henry, this thing is, so Cleveland State, I believe they've been in the, the last three times that they've been in the NCA tournament, and they're always a low seed when they get in. Obviously, they're coming out of the Horizon League. You know, It's not, it's not like they're blue bloods coming out of the Horizon League, but they've won the first-round game the last three times they've been in the tournament. One of those times, I think it was in 84, 85, 86, somewhere around there, they actually went to the Sweet 16. And then the same thing with OU. The OU, the my Ohio Bobcats, the last time they were in the tournament. 2012, won their first round game. So it's like I don't know. Like either of those teams, uh, for to me, Cleveland State has the tougher matchup. Obviously playing Houston, but I do like. I've had a lot of people like, well, OU draws Virginia. I don't know about that. It's like okay, Virginia got it done the one year. I forget that was a couple of years ago. Other than that, they've been notorious choke artists. And and then you look at OU, when they get in the tournament, they somehow make things happen. Like, that's a really close knit group, Henry, the Ohio, Ohio Bobcats. They've had two COVID scares this year, multiple stretches. I think it was one stretch of 12, not playing a game for 12 days, another stretch of not playing a game for nine days. They've only played about 25 games on the year, but this is a super close group led by Jeff Bowles, who actually played in for OU back in the day. I just, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two schools, gets the upset in round one. And you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Bobcats, they're going to get the job done. Virginia's going down. Sorry, Tony Bennett. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I,
0: I agree with the hey Virginia isn't defending national champions because it was two years ago that they did get yeah. it done and and there was no tournament last year. Uh my 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 this one's almost too obvious. So I, I usually don't like the obvious upsets, but Winthrop over Villanova, Villanova's point guard and best player, Conor Gillespie, out for the season. Winthrop is like the classic mid-major team that plays seven guys. So like if one of them gets in foul trouble, they're totally screwed but as long as one of those guys doesn't get in foul trouble they've been dominating this year so i like winthrop over villanova that's bracket talk on the rebuild
1: <laughs> A little, little bracketology here on the rebuild
0: <laughs> all right all right it is uh probably time to wrap up here day one of free agency in the books jordan thanks so much for coming on we'll have to hop back on later this week if a big signing does occur whoa, whoa, otherwise not we'll- if
1: when when the big signing occurs my friend all right and i'll be happy to hop back on with you
0: (laughs) when the big signing occurs we'll have coverage of all of that here on the rebuild and we'll be wrapping up free agency of course over the next week or so as the major deals kind of trickle in and then our attention will turn to the draft so all that and more on this feed but until next time browns fans get hyped about john johnson
1: and just two words for you go browns